Welcome to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central Podcast. My name is Bob Thune. I am the lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and I have the joy and privilege of hosting this podcast. Acts 29 is a global family of church planting churches, and the Acts 29 U.S. South Central Network focuses specifically on strengthening and planting churches in Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Texas. And on this podcast, we take the best content we have on church planting and church leadership, and we make it available to you to equip and encourage you in gospel ministry. We recently gathered together in Houston, Texas for the Acts 29 Church Planting Mini Conference. This is a one-day conference focused on church planting, where we spend the day hearing a number of small, dense TED Talks from various leaders throughout our network. Uh, having to do with what it looks like to plant churches. Uh, When Acts 29 thinks about church planting, we think about the man who is called to plant the church, the message, which is the gospel, and the mission of church planting. And so we designed this conference around those three themes. And on this episode of the podcast, you'll hear some of the content from that conference. Everybody, it's good to see you here. As you can clearly tell, I am from Austin, Texas. Uh, This is how we speak there now, at least in the western suburbs of that great city. Uh, We figured it wasn't quite pretentious enough to call ourselves the live music capital of the world, and so we've added accents to our repertoire uh, now, and quite frankly, the rest of Texas just needs to try harder uh, to be as cool as the great city of Austin. It's good to see you. Uh, It's been wonderful for my soul to be able to enjoy such rich content and fellowship. It's a bombardment, I understand. It's been like Preacher Palooza up here, um, or perhaps even Preachella, um, or as Andrew got going, I thought it might even be a version of the Fire Festival um, as we were dis- uh, discarding our seatbelts, but I see that you managed to keep them firmly in place, um, and I'm either encouraged or discouraged by that, I'm not sure. My task today is to encourage you and inspire you in your pursuit of the advance, the ongoing advance of the gospel to the lost through the churches that you have planted or will plant. Now, believe it or not, you can and will get distracted away from that pursuit, uh, from that pursuit as you plant and as you pastor. Because it turns out your church will have issues. The people in your church will have issues. And the people in your church who have issues will have issues with the church that you plant. And if that's not bad enough, you will have issues with the people in your church and their issues and the issues that they have with your church. And if that's not bad enough, you have issues. And so it's a very distracting thing to try pastor and lead people through this, and we can take our eye off of the the clear um, strategy and call of advancing the gospel in our day and age. And so my premise is simply this, you aren't, listen, you aren't actually given the burden of advancing the gospel through your church. (laughs) You are lovingly extended an invitation to participate in God's unstoppable advance of the gospel, and that is very different, and you dare not miss that. When I thought about what sorts of principles to share with you today, there were many that came to my mind, but I wanted to be able to root it in something biblical that you can hold on to for a tad longer than just the duration of a conference and its resultant Twitter teacup storm. And in this space, 
of gospel advance, the story of Paul planting the church in Corinth in Acts 18 is one that I have clung to at various stages of tough ministry when it felt like there was no advance of the gospel going forward in the difficult context I found myself in. Now friends, we know that Corinth was one of the toughest contexts around for gospel advance and yet Paul threw himself into it, why? Because God was in it. And because God was doing something. And I love that story because it removes our objections. I speak to many church planters and they always want to tell me about how tough their context is. And many of you are in very tough context. But I always go, as tough as Corinth? And the answer to that is usually no, right? And sometimes you have to dig a little deeper. I was like, when was the last time people were taking repeated shots at communion uh, to the point of drunkenness in your service? And they're like, no, it's been a couple of years, uh, to be honest. Uh, We used to do that early days of Acts 29, but we kind of moved on um, uh, a lot from that. And so there's issues at Corinth that are just so complex, so difficult to understand, and yet Paul works faithfully there. And I don't have time to work through the entire text, but let's grab a couple of verses and I've got six observations for you in my remaining six minutes and 12 seconds um, to just show how Paul views the advance of the gospel in a tough context. Remember that Paul has left Athens. We all know if you go to a church planning conference, you're gonna hear from Acts 17, right? This is the great model of how to be missional in your city. But Paul leaves Athens with mixed results, which is the part that I don't tell you about. Most of the city thinks he's mad and he wins a few converts. Welcome to church planting. If you do it right, most people will think you're insane and you'll win a few converts and they won't be that impressive. And so he goes from Athens and he goes to Corinth and we are told, verse two, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here's the big observation. The big premise is God does the work of advancing the gospel. We get to participate with him. But what are some of the principles that we can observe from this around how God advances the gospel? First one is this. God advances the gospel through groups of unlikely people. He advances the gospel through groups of unlikely people. Look at Paul's church planting team to start with. You've got Paul the former killer of Christians, who the Corinthians aren't going to like because he isn't particularly eloquent, he isn't handsome, he isn't powerful, he isn't persuasive. They don't like him. They don't want to listen to him, but he's leading the church plant. You've got Priscilla and Aquila. They're two refugees, friends, arriving in a new and hostile city, and they were trying to start a small business working with their hands. That is not exactly an all-star church planting team. I am not sure they would have passed an Acts 29 assessment. I've sat in a few of those and I think like, so Paul, it's you and Priscilla and Aquila, right? And the strategy, we're gonna make tents and I'm just gonna assault people with the gospel um, in the synagogue as long as they'll have me. I'm like, that feels like a four. Um, But, you know, let's keep talking. Uh, Come to another conference. Let's see what happens. But God loves to take a group of nobodies with day jobs and use them to influence a city. It's been his model from the beginning. He loves that. Friends, listen. We may have many Priscilla's and Aquila's sitting in our churches and in our church planting groups today. They've got limited means, limited experience in gospel things, but they're right to be used by God. If they would just be available for him to do something crazy through them, and if you as a leader would just open your hands, 
and disciple them and include them and trust them with ministry. When we professionalize all of the work of ministry, we remove from our people the invitation that God has extended to them to see him at work amongst the nations of the world. We take it out of the hands of regular folk and we try to hold on to it as if it's something we can craft and create. Second thing, God advances the gospel not just through groups of unlikely people, but two groups of unlikely people. Don't have time for this today, but Paul is amazing. To Jews and to Greeks, no one else is trying to persuade these two groups at the same time. He isn't just trying to maintain a group of already persuaded people, uh, which is a temptation for us here in the Bible Belt. He certainly isn't interested in building a monocultural community of likeness, because that would be the easiest way to grow, grow a church. This is the toughest church planting strategy ever, but he does it. Why? He believes that God will use a bunch of nobodies and God will reach a bunch of people that no one else in the culture sees and certainly no one else in the culture sees together. And he knows that only the gospel can do that, and so that will be perhaps their most powerful uh, apologetic to a watching world. Third thing, God advances the gospel even in the midst of persecution and suffering. Why are Priscilla and Aquila, uh, why have they left Rome? Because um, in, in 49 AD, the expulsion of the Jews from Rome was brutal, cruel, swift, and, and, and appalling. Imagine the strife and the pain that Priscilla and Aquila went through as everything they had was taken away from them. They were separated from friends and family. They were made to move to a foreign place at short notice. Now they found themselves as refugees in a big and bad and crazy pagan city where they had nothing and they knew no one. And then they meet Paul. And God was up to something. Friends, the early church was always supposed to scatter, but it took persecution to make that happen. We have always been a group of people who are supposed to participate in the advance of God's gospel in the world, and I think it's going to take persecution to make that happen. We are being increasingly pushed to the margins of society, and I say, bring it. Christendom is over. Long live the Christian church. May we rise out of the ashes of trying to control society. And will we rather participate in the great advance of the gospel from the fringes? We experience nothing like the persecution of the early church, but we are gonna need to learn to be sojourners and exiles and refugees in a strange land because that is what we are. All right, look at verse five. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Don't you love that? His, His support crew arrives and what do they find him doing? Teaching the word, studying the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Next observation is this one. Fourth, God advances the gospel. How? Through the centrality of Christ. Jeff's already spoken about this, so I don't don't want to harp on this, but there's a great pattern once you see it in, in, in the book of Acts when it describes Paul's ministry to Jews and Greeks. You know what it always tells us? When he's trying to persuade the Jews, you know what it says? He's trying to persuade them that the Christ was Jesus. When he's trying to persuade the Greeks, you know what he says? That Jesus was the Christ. Same message approached from a different perspective to the Jews. He's going, oh no, they believe in the Christ. They need to know that Jesus was him. To the Greeks, he's going, oh no, they know about Jesus. They need to know that he was the Christ. And what's the key that holds it all together? The resurrection. Friends, the church will not stop because it is based on the belief that Jesus is the Christ and that belief transcends cultures and that belief continues to hold weight and it must be at the center of what we are known for and I fear that it is not. What is our primary message to our world? 
I'm not sure it's this. I don't think it's what we're famous for. Are we known as the people of Christ? Or are we known for trying to get the world to live according to an ethic that we ourselves aren't prepared to live up to in the first place? Paul then gets hugely opposed. I'm nearly done. He has to move. (laughs) And so he moves next door. I love Paul. They kick him out of the synagogue and he goes, where should we go? Next door. And so he does. And he starts again. Um, and, And some people start to come to faith, but it's hardly revival. And then this happens. This is big. The Lord said to Paul, verse nine, one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Go on speaking, do not be silent. Why? I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Fifth one, God advances the gospel by working in ways that we cannot see. I love this text. This is amazing. It's encouraged me so many times in the face of opposition. I've I've seen God use it to encourage so many church planners and church planning teams. Why does the Lord appear to Paul in a vision and say, do not be afraid? He's afraid. (laughs) He's afraid. And so God has to console him. But look at what the Lord says to him. We expect God to say, come on, Paul. You be you, boo. You can do it. You're awesome. But God says, Paul, Paul, keep going. Why? I'm up to something that you cannot see. I'm awesome. I'm doing it, Paul, just stick with me. And then he says this, there are many in the city who are mine. Think about that. Paul must have gone like, we have different ways of defining many. Because I've got a team of eight. I don't understand. There weren't many yet. What's God saying? God's saying he's working behind the scenes, saving people that Paul had not even yet met. What a thought. Imagine what that would do for our evangelistic efforts to think that God has many people in mind in our contexts, who who are going to be his, who aren't his yet, and he's inviting us, saying, come join me on this great journey. It brings boldness and gladness and joy. And I don't know about you, but it gives me more hope for our cities as I picture God looking out at them and winning people back to himself and then inviting me to participate. Last one. God advances the gospel through people who persevere. What does Paul do in response to this message from the Holy Spirit? He stays as long as he can. 18 months is long for Paul in his kind of uh, apostolic ministry. Now, I, I love how often Acts does that. It puts 18 months in a single sentence. You think, hey, nothing's happening. What did it take? 18 months, what did he do? He stayed, he taught, and a church grew as a result, and it was difficult and messy and complex and glorious. Consistency in a place and with a people is a heck of a thing. Friends, you have an invitation to join God as he advances the gospel. So like Paul, find partners to do it with. Reach out to the unlikely. Keep fighting even when opposition is overwhelming. Keep Christ as central in your life and in your message. Stay as long as you can. Don't give up. There might just be many in your context who are his. Thanks for listening to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central podcast. For more about Acts 29, you can visit acts29.com. And to find out about our work in the South Central U.S., you can visit acts29ussouthcentral.org, especially if you are in this part of the United States of America, Nebraska down to Texas. Uh, We'd like you to go there, connect with us. While you're there, you can sign up for our email newsletter. You can learn about our church planter assessment process. And you can find out about upcoming events and conferences. Again, that website is acts29ussouthcentral.org.
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.